is the old you, and let's leave the past in the past. I, I thought about showing that clip uh, from The Lion King when they're getting ready to sing uh, the Hakuna Matata song, right? And, and Pumbaa and, and Timon are talking, and, and he's struggling with, you know, you've got to leave the past behind you. And, and he goofs it up, and it's cute and funny. But I think sometimes we, we need that reminder that that's, our, that's the old you. You don't have to continue dragging the old you with you. Especially as we are in this mindset of this closing of a chapter of 2019 and opening of a new chapter in 2020. That we can strive to fix the brokenness in our lives. We can work really hard at it. You can try and you can try and you can try. And ultimately, if we are doing that in our own strength, you will fail. You'll fail. But Christ brings new life and a death to the old self and the old way of living. And we have to constantly remind that soul part of us, our mind, our will, and our emotions, no, that's not who God says I am. That's not who we are. And so we have this new life. We have this new identity in Christ. And the old way of living doesn't matter anymore. You can leave your past behind and walk in newness in who God says we are. Um, you know, I there are these moments where I, I just have immense pride. I mean, I'm proud of my kids all the time. But there are these moments where, like, my kids just absolutely blow me away. One of those moments was when I, I was talking to my oldest daughter, and uh, somehow the conversation came up that uh, a guy asked her for her phone number, which happens. Uh, it's one of those things where, you know, there's that, that phrase that, that guns don't kill people, fathers of pretty daughters kill people. Um, and, and so she was talking to me about this young man that had asked for her phone number, and she didn't really want to give him her real phone number. And so I said, well, honey, what number did you give him? And she said, 8675309. And I was like, that is my girl. Right? That, that I, had, I have done a good enough job in training my children in the era of the 80s that she knew that song because none of the guys that she is her contemporary with, none of them know that that's Jenny's number. Right? Um, not Joy's number. And, uh, but there's another song that kind of stands out that, um, that I, when I think about the old, when I think about what's going on in the world, there's a song that, um, that comes to mind uh, by Billy Joel called We Didn't Start the Fire. Right? Do you remember that song? I was, I was, I was tempted to play it, but I'm like, ah, oh, we got it. You can listen to it on your way home. Right? But we all recognize that there's something broken in the world. Right? That, that everyone knows that. No matter who you are, no matter where you live, we know that there's something broken. There's addiction, there's violence, there's corruption, there's strife, there's brokenness. The list goes on and on. And, and you can listen to Billy Joel lament on how broken the world is. We live in a broken, fallen world. And throughout history, we have tried so hard as human beings to try to fix that brokenness. 
We try all kinds of things to, to bring wholeness, to bring restoration. And, and so when you think back through the ages of humankind, in the, in the age of revolution, uh, the French Revolution, the American Revolution, there was this idea that if we just overthrew the monarchies and we could have democracy in the world, that the world would be better. And for a time, seemed like that seemed like a pretty good solution, but the world is still broken. And then in the age of enlightenment, we, we were promised that if we just educated ourselves, that if we were smarter, if we, if we knew more, if we had more understanding, that, that the human beings would become better people. Did that fix it? No. And then science suggests that if we just have enough technology, if we have enough advancement, if we have enough understanding that we can create this perfect utopian society that doesn't require money and we can become the United Federation of Planets and, and make the world a, a, a better, a, the universe a better place, right? And we could live in this perfect world uh, with Captain Kirk and Mr. Spock. And even their perfect world is broken, Right? Revolutions and democracies still oppress people. And education makes evil people cleverer. They are, they are meaner, smarter. They devise new ways to be mean. And science and technology brought about things like the atomic bomb and cybercrime and tech addiction. At, at the, the Iron Sharpens Iron Men's conference that we attended, there's this one uh, session that I, because I was uh, working and, and speaking in my own session, I, I wish that I had gone to it. It was called Digital Cocaine. And he talks about how our addiction to technology, the, the trigger of dopamine in our brain, is no different if you were to take an MRI scan of someone um, when they are using their phone as someone who is addicted to crack, it's the same thing because it fires those same triggers in our brain. And, and it's why when you tell someone that one of the greatest fears used to be uh, public speaking, that asking people to come up and stand up in front of a group of people and ask them to speak, that would trigger like all kinds of, oh, I can't do that. And now most likely that one of the, they, they say that one of the number one fears is I lost my phone, right? Um, or, or telling someone you have to turn your phone off. The, the anxiety that, oh, what? You want me to turn my phone off? And so democracy and education and science, those are all good things. Those are all things that have brought good things to the world, but they don't fix what's wrong with human nature. Because we are fallen and broken creatures without Christ. So when, when, we, when we look beyond trying to, to the, the fix the big brokenness that, that we have tried to fix, at a, at a personal level, we all understand that. We all get that we're broken. Uh, this morning, our, um, our video presentation software broke. I, I don't know if you even noticed it. 
Um, and, and but we we are trying new software now to put our overheads on, and and it's one of those things where technology is supposed to make everything better, uh, and it just seems to give you more headaches than 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 you want. And uh, one of the things was uh, that opening video that we play that creates that Pavlovian response. Uh, once you hear the buckle up and hold on, everyone's like, oh, church is starting. We have to get to our seats. Um, we had to play a new video because uh, I couldn't get the old one off the old computer. Anyways, there's this this moment in our in our old video that talks about how we are all broken people, but He is putting us back together. But when we when we try to fix the brokenness on our own, that's where the wheels start falling off. When we try to fix the brokenness on our own, we try things like filling that emptiness with money or sex or power or stuff or relationships or addictions, and we we fail. We fail to live up to our own ideals, and then our insecurities start to pound us because we're trying so hard to fix all of these broken pieces on our own, and, and then our insecurities get the best of us couldn't do it. I couldn't measure up. couldn't even measure up to my own expectations. Or the flip side of that, we become prideful. Look at how good I am. Look at how much better I am. Look at how many days I was in the Bible app this year. Man, I'm doing great. And we can become prideful and envious and we can lack the love for people that... Terry was talking about uh, in our communion devotion that God wants us to be thinking about Him and others first. So maybe you're here this morning and you you present to the world that you have got it all together. But maybe you can't stop losing your temper with your kids. You don't know how to have self-control. Maybe you're here this morning and you're depressed over your body image and and you don't know how to have that self-control and so you try diets and you try exercise plans and and at the expense of your family you obsess over your own sense of self-worth Romans chapter 1 uh, I'm going to read a chunk of Romans uh, 21 verse 32 says, yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship Him as God or even give Him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. And as a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. And as a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. And so they worshipped and served the things that God created instead of the Creator Himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. We sang that this morning, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty goes on to talk about 
the, the ways that we did that in verses 26 and, and 27 about how we used our bodies to, to express that wrong thinking, shameful things. Verse 28 says, Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, He abandoned them to their foolish thinking and He let them do things that should never be done. And their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. They're backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They invent new ways of sinning, and they disobey their parents. Wow. They refuse to understand. They break their promises. They are heartless, and they have no mercy. They know God's judgment. God's, excuse me. They know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die, and yet they do them anyway. And worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. It's sin. That's all of the stuff that God says, please, I beg you, don't do this. You don't have to live that way. And the Bible clearly defines what is wrong with the world. It's sin. That sin has corrupted our thoughts and our emotions and our actions. We just looked at how it did that. And, you know, sometimes we read that, that chunk in Romans chapter 1, and as Christians we can be like, yeah, you bad guys. Right? Yeah, you guys, you guys all blew it. And, and, and look at all the horrible things you do. And we forget that Paul is writing this to Roman Christians and and the content, the context of this is that these are all the things that you used to do and some of you are still doing. And so you don't get to point a finger and say, we're better than you, that we are more enlightened than you, we're more saved than you, that we are more spiritual than you. Because these are all things that you're also guilty of outside of Christ. Sin at its core is selfishness. It's saying to God, God, I don't want to do what you want me to do. I don't want to do what you've told me to do. I want to do what I want to do. It's this bent that continually learns and looks inward that says, this is what I want. This will make me feel better. This will make me feel smarter. This will make me feel more confident. This will take the pain away. And so I choose to do these things that are the old way. The Bible has the ultimate remedy for this broken, sinful state. And that's Jesus. We've just come out of the Christmas season. And the answer to all of this brokenness is the baby that was born in the feeding trough to change our lives. And not just that he was cute little nine pound baby Jesus, right? Like like uh, like Will Ferrell prays in in Talladega Nights, dear dear eight and a half pound baby Jesus, please give me what I want, like a genie. But that baby grew up to become a man, 
who lived a, a perfect life to show us how we could have that connection restored with God and ultimately dying on a cross and raising Himself from the dead to bring new life. That's what you guys studied in your Foundations for Faith class about who Jesus is. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 20 says, but that isn't what you learned about Christ. This, the, the brokenness isn't what wins. Sin doesn't win. But that isn't what you learned about Christ. Verse 21, since you have heard about Jesus and you have learned the truth that comes from Him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception, Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. You know, sometimes we think, you know, yeah, Jesus died so I can go to heaven when I die. Right? When we, we think about salvation as our get out of hell jail, get out of hell free card, right? Like in Monopoly. That, that I'm a Christian now, right? So I have, I have a pass. But it really only applies to when I die. Jesus came so that we could have new life now. Right? I, I don't know how many times I've said this, but you know, so many times when we think about what eternal life is, we just think about it as the, it's what is, what is heaven going to be like when I die? And if that's all eternity was, the moment you accepted Jesus... God would just strike you with lightning and kill you and send you to heaven if that's what this was all about. But it's not. He wants us to live this life, to live out what eternal life empowered by the Holy Spirit looks like now in this broken world to people who are hurting and lost. And yet as Christians, we still choose to hold on to the old way of thinking, the old way of living. Romans chapter 6, verse 3 says, Or have you forgotten that when you were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined Him in His death? For we died, we died, and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, so now we also may live new lives. Our new life exists because of our identity in Christ. And, and this, tonight we are going to celebrate uh, some water baptisms. People who have chosen to follow Jesus and they're being obedient to Scripture and, and being water baptized. And uh, it's, it's one of those beautiful things. I have to admit, I'm a little nervous about tonight. Uh, it's been a long time since I have baptized someone not in a lake. Right To, to baptize someone in a tank uh, is, is kind of a new thing um, because we always do church at the beach in July and we always have our water baptisms uh, out in Lake Ontario and, and we've had uh, extreme baptism summers where the waves were three feet tall and crashing and, and we would have to, we have to thank God for Marsha uh, who, who somehow, I don't know how it works, I don't know, I think the magic is going to wear off eventually because there's not going to be those kids that were in your class anymore that are lifeguards at the beach. That, 
that the, the lifeguard would say, nope, you can't go out. The water's too rough or there was lightning and thunder and so you can't go in the water. And then Marcia would show up like out of nowhere. Like the, it, was, it was like it was like the, the Philip being teleported by God. Like all of a sudden, boom, there was Marcia. And, and, and the lifeguard was like, Mrs. Hinman, I didn't know you were here because she had them as her teacher. Okay, as long as Mrs. Hinman is here, you can have your water baptism. And, and you know, the, the year of the extreme baptism, we would have to wait for the waves to crash. And then in that trough in between, baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Boosh! The wave would crash. I mean, they really got baptized that year. So, like, tonight's going to be, like, ordinary baptism or something. Like, well, maybe we need someone to have a five-gallon bucket and just boosh! And they come out of the water to make it, you know. But when we are baptized, that is a symbol that we are, we, are, we are being put under and we are dying to the old way of living. And then as we come up out of the water, that we are rising with Christ to a new existence. Your identity is not how much you have or how you look or where you're from. Your core identity is who you are in Christ. You know, there's a toy that we give our children when they're when they're younger justin if the program is working um yeah it was it was like when it crashed there was this beautiful little ring i'm like oh this new computer is is very polite when it tells you everything has horribly gone wrong um but we have this toy that we give our kids when they're when they're small right and we learn from a very young age that you can't fit a round peg in a square hole. And, and they, they learn shapes and tactile skills and, and they quickly find out that they can't fit one shape in the hole of a different shape. And, and sometimes the great frustration, right, as they're trying to make it fit. We used to have, I remember we had this one, it was this ball with holes in it and then you, you had to fit the shapes through the hole and then you could pull the ball apart and they all drop out. And, and sometimes there is this one shape that you thought would fit. It should fit, right? It looks like it fits and you just uh, try to jam it in there. When we have been given new life in Christ and yet we still try to live the old way, He's transformed us. We're a new shape. We are a new creature. And yet we still try to, to, to fit in the old way, in the old hole. We've got a different shape to life now. We have a different identity. There was a, a, a thing um, two summers ago when uh, Carrie and I celebrated our 25th wedding anniversary where I, um, I reenacted a scene out of a movie, uh, one of our favorite movies, Say Anything, where... Uh, where Lloyd stands outside of his girlfriend's bedroom uh, out of her house and he's got this long trench coat and he has his boom box and he's playing uh, Peter Gabriel in your eyes. And so I surprised my wife by because there are no boom boxes anymore. So I had to make one out of cardboard uh, to look like Lloyd's boom box. And, and then I, had, I didn't have a trench coat and so Je- Jesse and I, we went and I, f- I found uh, an, an old MTV t-shirt at Walmart. And then I found a trench coat at 
the Salvation Army thrift store, but it didn't fit. It was too small. But it was, it was my only option. And so thankfully Lloyd has the sleeves rolled up when he does his thing. Um, but putting that jacket on, it's kind of like putting on an old garment. Not one that I'm not made to fit in anymore. And, and, and so the idea of, of trying, and I, I should have brought the jacket so you could see that the sleeves literally like come up to here. Um, it's not who I am. It's not who God made me to be. He has new clothes for me to wear, to put on, to live in, in this world. There's a, a young lady that um, my wife and I love very, very dealer, dearly. Uh, she's one of our students from Ohio uh, named Jessica. And uh, she's actually who our Jessica is named after. And um, she performed this uh, story called The Ragman. And um, I, w- I wanted to show Jessica performing it, but the video didn't work out. Uh, but I have version of it, that if we think about the old us, just this story clearly communicates this idea of shedding off the old you and putting on who he's made you to be. It's called the ragman. Saw a strange sight. I stumbled upon a story most strange. Like nothing my life, my street sense, my sly tongue had ever prepared me for. Hush, child. Hush now, and I will tell it to you. Even before the dawn one Friday morning, I noticed a young man, handsome and strong, walking the alleys of our city. He was pulling an old cart filled with clothes, both bright and new, and he was calling in a clear tenor voice, rags. Ah, the air was foul and the first light filthy to be crossed by such sweet music. Rags, new rags for old. I take your tired rags, rags. Now, this is wonder, I thought to myself, for the man stood six feet four and his arms were like tree limbs hard and muscular, and his eyes flashed intelligence. Could he find no better job than this to be a ragman in a city? I followed him. My curiosity drove me, (laughs) and I was not disappointed. Soon the ragman saw a woman sitting on her back porch. She was sobbing into a handkerchief, sighing, shedding a thousand tears. Her knees and elbows made a sad X. Her shoulders shook. Her heart was breaking. The ragman stopped his cart. Quietly, he walked to the woman, stepping around tin cans and dead toys and pampers. Give me your rag, he said to her gently. So gently. And I'll give you another. He slipped the handkerchief from her eyes. She looked up and he laid across her palm a linen cloth so clean and new that it shined 
She blinked from the gift of the giver. Then as he began to pull his cart again, the ragman did a strange thing. He put it, her stained handkerchief to his own face, and then he began to weep. To sob as grievously as she had done, his shoulders shaking. Yet she was left without a tear. This is a wonder I breathed to myself. And I followed the sobbing ragman like a child who cannot turn away from a mystery. Rags! Rags! New rags for old! In a little while, the sky showed gray behind the rooftops, and I could see the shredded curtains hanging out black windows, and the ragman came upon a little girl whose head was wrapped in a bandage. Her eyes were empty. Blood soaked her bandage, and a single line of blood ran down her cheek. Now the tall ragman looked upon this child with pity, and he drew a lovely yellow bonnet from his cart. The child could only gaze at him while he loosened the bandage and removed it and tied it to his own head. The bonnet he set on hers. And I gasped at what I saw, for with the bandage went the wound against his brow. It ran a darker, more substantial blood. It was his own. Rags. Rags. I take old rags cried the sobbing, bleeding, strong, intelligent ragman. The sun hurt both the sky now and my eyes. The ragman seemed more and more to hurry. Are you going to work, he said, to a man who was leaning against the telephone pole? The man shook his head. The ragman pressed him. Do you have a job? Are you crazy, sneered the other. He pulled away from the pole and, revealing the right sleeve of his jacket, was flat and the cuff stuffed into the pocket. He had no arm. So, said the ragman, give me your jacket, I'll give you mine. Such quiet authority in his voice. The one-armed man took off his jacket, so did the ragman, and I trembled at what I saw, for the ragman's arm stayed in its sleeve, and when the other put it on, he had two good arms, thick as tree limbs, and the ragman had only one. Go to work, he said. After that, he found a drunk lying unconscious beneath an army blanket, an old man hunched, wizened, and sick. He took that blanket and he wrapped it around himself, but for the drunk, he left new clothes. And now I had to run to keep up with the ragman, though he was weeping uncontrollably and bleeding freely from the forehead, pulling his cart with one arm, stumbling for drunkenness, falling again and again, exhausted, old, old, and sick. Yet he went with terrible speed. On spider's legs, he skittered through the alleys of the city, this mile and the next, until he came to its limits, and then he rushed beyond. I 
wept to see the change in this man. I heard to see his sorrow, and yet I had to see where he was going in such haste, perhaps to know what it was that drove him so. And the little old ragman, he came to a landfill. He came to the garbage pits. And then I wanted to help him in what he did, but I hung back, hiding. He climbed a hill. With tormented labor, he cleared a little space on that hill. Then he sighed. He lay down. He pillowed his head on a handkerchief and a jacket. He covered his bones with an old smelly army blanket. And he died. Oh, how I cried. How I cried to witness that death. I slumped into an old junked car. And I wailed and mourned as one who has no hope because I had come to love that ragman. Every other face had faded in the wonder of this man, and I cherished him. But he died. I sobbed myself to sleep. I didn't know. How could I know? I slept through Friday night and Saturday, and it's night too. But then, on Sunday morning, I was awakened by violence. Light, pure, hard, demanding light slammed against my sour face. And I blinked, and I looked, and I saw, and the last and the first wonder of all was before me. There was the ragman holding the blanket most carefully, a scar on his forehead, but alive. And besides that healthy, no sign of sorrow, nor of age, and all of the rags that he had gathered shined for their cleanliness. Well then, I lowered my head, and trembling for all that I had seen, I myself walked up to the ragman. I told him my name with shame. For I was a sorry, sorry figure next to him. Then I took off all my clothes in that place. And I said to him with dear yearning in my voice, Dress me. And he dressed me. My Lord, he put clean rags on me, new rags, and I, I, I am a wonder beside him, the ragman, the ragman, the Christ. Imagine if you've pulled an old coat out of your closet and you look at it and it has stains and holes and it doesn't look like it would fit you. As you put the coat on, you notice it's too small, it's a tight fit and you really can't get it on without stretching your arms all the way back. Somehow you wrestle yourself into it and the sleeves stop at your forearms and you can't button or zip up the front. And if you were to try to hug someone, you're pretty sure the jacket would rip. It's uncomfortable. It's an old coat that was for a former self. 
your old life is like an old stained, smelly coat that doesn't fit you anymore. Because you have been made new. So as we close 2019, we have a new life. We have a new identity in Christ. The old way of living doesn't matter anymore. Leave your past behind you and invite Him to clothe you with new life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank You that You came to bring new life. Not just heaven when we die, but new life now. Lord, I know that there are people sitting here this morning that are struggling, holding on to their old, stained, smelly life. This morning, if we would just simply lay that at your feet, you would replace that with new and abundant life. Father, I pray that you would help us in this closing moment as we wrap up this message as we wrap up this year, we would lay our rags at your feet and allow you to give us new life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Blessings. Um, Thank you for coming. If you are available and uh, don't have plans already for New Year's Eve, we would love to have you come and join us. We have uh, we take over the athletic facility at Salmon Creek Country Club, so there's tennis and uh, possibly pickleball. Uh, I don't know if oh, my dad's head just came up. Um, if you want to play pickleball, I'm sure that you can. Uh, the soccer field and then the racquetball court will have table games and food and um, yeah, come and join us and ring in the new year with us at Salmon Creek if you're able to. And I um, pray you have a fantastic week. Blessings.